right, all right, good to see you. Take your Bibles, turn to two places. Sorry, this is like 99% of the time we're in one section. Uh, turn to 2 Samuel 12 and turn to Psalm 51, all right? 2 Samuel 12, Psalm 51 is where we're gonna be. Very, very glad you're here. Let me just say hello to our online folks. Thank you very, very much uh, for joining us. A quick shout out to Deborah from Swannanoa, Virginia from Brevard, Barbara and Dan from Statesville, and Dabrielle from the great state of Florida, all right? So thank you very much for joining us uh, today. And um, again, uh, one of the things that uh, greatly appreciate that we, as we go through the year of the Bible, is uh, uh, we're trying to not just be uh, people who hear the word, but we're actually trying to do it, all right? And uh, one of the things I mentioned last week was gonna announce today, for about seven years, we have uh, been praying for a larger uh, opportunity to share the gospel in uh, some of the correctional facilities around Western North Carolina. Now, God's already given us favor in some areas. We have services pre and then post COVID that will that go to Craggy uh, Prison on Friday night. We also have uh, folks that go to the the, the, the ladies to on uh, I think Tuesday night when it comes to the Swannanoa Correctional Facility. But one of the things we've been praying for is a larger opportunity. And just to let you know, starting next week. And this was uh, through a series of uh, stories of God at work that God did and some different officials around town and so forth. But excited to announce that uh, starting next uh, Sunday, uh, there will be a uh, extension, a Biltmore Church extension site at the Buncombe County uh, Detention Center. And what that means is two to 300, go ahead and put your hands together, two to 300 uh, uh, men and women will be able to uh, watch service just like you are. And then also starting in May, we'll be starting some small discipleship groups, connect groups in there. And so again, thank you for, again, just being on mission, all right? Mission is your neighbors. It's inviting to Easter. It is all the different ways that we do this. As we emerge from this, uh, there is some normalcy we will get back to, but we don't want to go, we don't want to just go back to all normal. There's some things that God has uh, taught us during this challenging year we want to put into, uh, into effect. Now, I will say this, one thing that probably won't stop uh, when uh, uh, COVID is over, but it has accelerated during the last year, and that are, that, those, are, those are fake social media accounts, all right? Fake social media accounts. Some of you all have actually, it's like, is this real or is this fake? And, and so here's what happened about maybe three or four months ago with one of those. Basically what a fake social media account is, if, if you're not familiar, is they will take uh, somebody, and let's just use mine for example, and they will like take a picture and they'll act like it's fake and they're usually trying to scam people and say, hey, would you be my friend or would you, you know, like my page and then eventually it's going to get down to the silver. And so here's what happened. Um, you know, this happens all the time. Now this doesn't usually, it doesn't, it's not as obvious, nor it doesn't say fake account. That's the problem. If it said fake account, nobody would go there. Okay. But it can be very costly if you don't understand the difference between real and fake truth and error. And so there was one on Instagram uh, not too long ago uh, that was uh, actually asking some of you, hey, would you like me? Would you follow me on um, Instagram? And then eventually it's obviously, again, as I said, gonna get to the, the dollars and cents. But one of our, uh, one of our communications people wanna have a little fun with this particular person who was putting this fake account trying to scam y'all. And so here's what happened. So uh, our guy, this is our guy. He's like, hey, pastor, he's acting like he doesn't know it's a fake account. So again, keep that in mind. So our guy says, Hey, pastor, to, to fake Pastor Bruce. And, and so 
Then this is what this is what fake Pastor Bruce said. Okay, shalom, beloved. Now, first of all, if you ever hear me talk like that, it's not me, okay? It's not me. If I ever say shalom, beloved, it's like leave, you know, do not pass go, do not collect $200, leave, all right? It's not me. But shalom, beloved. And then the next thing that uh, came up, our guy was like, shalom, just playing along. And then, uh, and then God bless you. I would say that, all right? It's not a total giveaway, but God bless you. And so um, next one up was this. Okay, do you have faith in thy Lord Jesus Christ? All right, so here's the deal. If I speak King James English to you, that's not me either, okay? If I say thys, these or thou's, run away, all right? But do you have faith in thy Lord Jesus Christ is what he said. Our guy's like, certainly. And here he goes. Okay, here it is. God wants you to sow a seed of four. What, what an odd amount, 470. I thought he would have asked for like $666 or something, but he's like, all right, $471 to God's Hope Charity. And then just in the abundance of, of uh, graciousness, he even gave me, he, he gave our guy the place that he could go to send his money. So our guy was finally had enough of it, and here's what he put. All right, your account has been reported as a fake, and I'm reporting your charity account as a fake too, and just to know Christians have a sense of humor, he then ends with shalom, all right? Shalom, and then the next thing up was this. Bruce Frank has left the chat. So point being is, all right, some of you actually did, you know, hey, here's $10 or I feel bad, and it's pretty harmless, and it's kind of funny to look at fake accounts, all right? It's not, they didn't damage that much and we report it as quick as we can and we get them taken down as quick as we, as quick as we can. But if you cannot discern the difference between something that's real and something that is fake, it can be much more costly than $471. In particular, if you can't tell the difference between let's just say what is real conviction and fake conviction, that can be real costly. If you don't know how the difference between what is real freedom and fake freedom that can be extremely costly. If you don't know the difference between what is real repentance and fake repentance, that can be devastating. And so what we're gonna look at today and what we're gonna kind of lay out on the table is the basic uh, question is, uh, what do you do after, after you have sinned? What do you do after you have sinned? Because here's the truth. The truth is, it, all the difference in the world it makes a huge difference what you do after you sin. It can be the difference between life and death, between whether you know the difference between the gospel and religion, whether you stay in bondage or you get freedom, whether you get your joy restored or whether you continue to walk around with the residue of your mistakes, whether you put your head on the pillow tonight with a clean conscience or whether you continue to just fritter away what God wants to do in your life. And so we uh, are gonna look at a massive, massive blowout today, but more so we're gonna look at what was his response in the blowout? Because here's the deal. Everybody in here is gonna, you're gonna mess up. Everybody online, you're gonna mess up. You're not better than Moses. You're not better than Abraham. You're not better than Peter. They all messed up. And what you see today is David's mess up and how he responded showed that he belonged to God, showed that he belonged to God, showed actually why he even after the blowout was called a man after God's own heart. And um, what I'm gonna do is 2 Samuel 12 is the story of how Samuel got caught in his sin. And then Psalm 51 is going to be, how did he 
than respond to being caught in his sin. And I'll just tell you in the front end, uh, that's the question on the floor today is um, basically how do you get past your past? How am I gonna go from, because God's for our joy. God is for your joy. I hope you know that. But it could sting a little bit to get that back. And um, today, uh, we're gonna try to apply it at the very end. I'm gonna call you to basically do exactly what you see in Psalm 51, but we have gotta do a little work to get there. So if you're new to Bible study, let me kind of set up the story for you in 2 Samuel 12, verse one, and then I'll give you a little background. It says this, and the Lord sent Nathan to David. Nathan is sort of like David's, David is the king of Israel. He's like, you know, at the top of his game to some degree, as far as politically and power-wise. Nathan is like David's uh, pastor, all right? They have a relationship. There is uh, uh, some, um, some time there, but the Lord sent Nathan to David and he came to him and he said to him, now, hold on one second. Here's what's happened in the previous chapter. In the previous chapter, uh, David, in a nutshell, he, what he does is he takes another man's wife. He commits adultery with her. She gets pregnant. He tries to cover it up. And the wife was one of his finest soldiers, one of his best friends. She's pregnant, he tries to cover it up. So what he does is he puts him in a very precarious situation militarily. He ends up getting killed as he hoped he would. And then he thinks, you know what, everything's good. Everything's fine. I've kind of put the blanket over it. I've covered it up. And about a year later is when this takes place. So for a year, there has been the voice of conscience into David. You did it. You hit it. You did it. You hit it. And he has been just wrestling with this, as we'll see, for an entire year. But even though other people didn't know what happened, God knew what happened. Even though it was covered to most everybody else, it was uncovered an open scandal in front of God. And so the Lord sends somebody to tell David a story. And the story goes like this. There were two men in a certain city and the one rich and the other poor. So it's like, hey, David, come here. I got this amazing story and it's tragic what has happened. There's a rich man and a poor man. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe land which he had bought and he brought it up and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel, drink from his cup, lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. And now there came a traveler to the rich man and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. Real quick, so get in the story. You got a rich man and a poor man. He's like, David, check out what's going on. Rich man and a poor man. The rich guy's got some family that come into town for Easter and all of a sudden, man, I don't, I don't have anything for them. So instead of taking out of his abundance, he goes over to the poor guy, takes this one and only one, the one that was almost like a pet to him, he takes that. And so you can feel David getting mad. It says, but he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. Now, just a real quick freebie. One of the things I've noticed is that people who shove their sin down and never deal with some of the sin in their own life can be extremely hard on other people's sin. When they push it down and shove it down and they sit, they're very easy on their sin and they're oftentimes very hard on other people's sin. And so this is David. David's getting mad at the hypothetical story even though he doesn't even know yet that he is the star of the story. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man and he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. 
And he shall restore the lamb fourfold. That's called restitution, which actually, by the way, is a important part of repairing our sin. That's not really today, but it is very important about restitution because he did this thing and because he had no pity now. So here's the story. It's like, get that guy. And then in one of the ultimate mic drops in the Bible, Nathan says to David, you are the man. You're the guy in the story. You're the guy that you're upset about. You're the one that said he ought to pay fourfold back. And so what you do when you are confronted with your sin is what makes all the difference, loved one. It is. And that confrontation can come by a companion, a friend of yours. It can come by a student pastor. It can come by a preacher. It can come by you just getting in the word and reading and God's like, listen, this is wrong. This needs adjustment. This is the damage that is caused. It could be about your marriage. It could be about money. It could be about impurity. It could be about anything at all. And what you do at that moment makes all the difference. And what you see David do is different than what Saul did. And it's also what we are tempted to do. When we are confronted with our sin, two temptations that always raise their head is number one is to run away. I just gotta get away. I'm gonna move cities, I'm gonna move jobs, I'm gonna move churches, I'm gonna move marriages, and I'm just gonna start over. So instead of dealing with my junk, what I do is I just hide it and then move to Western North Carolina and leave all of that stuff behind, not realizing until maybe months later that you know what, because I didn't deal with it over here, I'm still looking at it in the mirror. And if we don't run from it, we just rationalize it. You know what? It's not hurting anybody. Everybody's doing it. It's somebody else's fault. It's my, if my wife hadn't have done this, if my kids hadn't acted this way, if my boss wasn't unreasonable, if God hadn't given me these feelings, then I wouldn't have done it. And loved ones, what I'm just saying is when we do that, we don't understand the gospel and we run away from healing and we run to shame. And what God is trying to get us to do is in our brokenness, run to him, run to healing when God confronts us with our sin. To do otherwise is like when the check engine light, somebody said when the check engine light comes on, you've got two choices. You can either pull the car over, open the hood, see what's wrong, or you can keep a little hammer in your glove box or your console and if the check engine light comes on, you take the hammer out and you smash the light until it goes out. Now, you can do that, but what will eventually happen is even though the light is not on any longer, your car is gonna burn up. And so that's what happens. We run away from it, we rationalize it, but eventually, man, the whole thing melts down. And so what God's calling us to is what he called David to and that is to acknowledge our sin and when he does that, he writes Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is kind of a twin to Psalm 32, but Psalm 51 is tied with the prodigal son as the clearest picture of gospel-centered repentance that there is in the whole Bible. Psalm 32 is kind of that twin, but it's written like looking back at how awesome God was in his repentance. Psalm 51 is like looking at a guy's prayer journal. You almost feel like, I feel guilty looking. I'm like looking in somebody else's business, but David wrote it down. He wrote it down. He wrote it down publicly. He didn't care what anybody else uh, thinks about it. But here's uh, the last thing until we jump into Psalm 51. Hear me on this. Most Christians, we do not know how to repent. We don't. 
We repented at least one time. If you're a Christian, you had to repent one time. You turn from your sin and embrace Jesus. That's repentance. But you don't know how to repent. We don't know how to repent very well. As a Christian, we, uh, we kind of put in there, we, we know how to regret. Regret is I'm very sorry. Man, I wish I hadn't gone down that road. That's costing me a lot. That cost my, my kids, that cost me my marriage, that cost me my business, that cost me my reputation. That is not repentance, that is regret. It's also not remorse. Remorse is, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry I did that, I'm sorry. And the, the tragedy is if all we have is remorse or regret, over in 2 Corinthians, the apostle Paul says that leads nowhere but to death. But if we understand gospel centered repentance, listen, you actually, you can actually walk out of church today, put your head on the pillow tonight and say, you know what? I have a clean conscience. My past is in my past. God has wiped it away. I've got his resume put to my account and you can sleep better than maybe you slept in years if you and I will just apply what you see David apply. All right, so we're gonna go through a few verses of Psalm 51 and I'm gonna show you the progression and the reason I say that we don't know how to repent well is again, I've been, pre, I've been doing this deal for 30 years and even just studying Psalm 51, I'm not gonna tell you which aspect of it, but I'm like, dude, that's the key. That's it right there. You've been missing that aspect for years. And so here it is. Psalm 51 is beautiful. It is raw. It is transparent. It is vulnerable. It is desperate, but it shows that he belonged to God. And the truth of the matter is, uh, the gospel is what you and I uncover, God will cover in his grace, but what we refuse to uncover, God will uncover. And so what I'm going to apply to us today is I'm going to give you a chance that we kind of uncover some stuff. Before we get there, let's see how we do it. So Psalm 51 verse 1, here's the way it starts. And this is again, David's like right after Nate, we don't know how quickly, but shortly after Nathan confronts him, this is what he, this is what he writes. Have mercy on me, O God. If you don't hear anything else, hear that. Literally, it means give me the grace. God, give me the grace. I gotta have some grace. If you want some grace on your life, on your family's life, on your marriage, on your home, all that, this is where it starts. Have mercy on me. It's not I'm gonna do better. It's not I'm never gonna fail again. It's God, I just need some grace. That's where it starts. Have mercy on me, oh God. According to your steadfast love, that is such good news. Steadfast love is the word hesed, which means covenant love. It means even though you are unfaithful, God is faithful. Even though you blew it, a God did not blow it. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. That's a picture of like taking one of those little wipes and you got a stain on your shirt and it's just wiping and pushing and pushing and pushing. All of a sudden you're like, you know what? It's gone. Why? Because sin makes us feel dirty. And for the Christian, unconfessed sin still makes you feel dirty. It's that residue. It's like, you know what? I can't enjoy God because there's all this unconfessed sin, but I can't enjoy my sin. Why? Because I belong to God. So we're stuck right in the middle. And that's where some of us are even this morning. And so here's this prayer and it's so full of emotion. Wash me thoroughly. I don't just want a little, I just don't want a little devotional thought to get me to Tuesday. I want you to go down deep into my heart. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. It's a great word. It's repeated in here and we'll come back to it. And cleanse me from my sin. So jot this down if you would. The first kind of principle here is when you and I want to have gospel-centered repentance and get clean, start with God's grace. That's what he started with. First verse, God have mercy on me. Show me the grace. Show me based on how abundant your mercy is. I love the fact that he didn't go to what he, I, I love the fact he didn't go what he had done. He didn't say, you know, man, have you checked out? I killed Goliath for you. Remember that? 
I'm like one of your best. I, you know these songs I've written? You know what, God? They're gonna sing them in churches one day. He didn't bring any of that stuff up. He didn't say, you know what? I'm a ton better king than Saul ever dreamed of being. All he did is say, give me the grace. Give me the grace out of your abundant mercy. Some of you are hearing like, you don't understand what I've done. I, I had an abortion here or I, I had an affair here or I blew up this family here. Or I cheated over here, whatever. You're like, I don't know if that's enough mercy. That's like a kid sitting at the beach with a bucket in his hand saying, you know what? I wonder if there's enough water in that ocean to fill this bucket. Listen, you don't outsend the cross ever, ever, ever. And so David, thousands of years before, is like, I just need the grace. And look at verse three, here's how he goes on. For I know my transgressions. That is such a, it's hard to describe how, uh, how, how, how that word, the word know there's the word a yada, kind of like, uh, was it Seinfeld, yada, yada, yada. You know, yada in Hebrew means it's the idea of intimacy with another person. And he's applying it here to his own sin. And he's like, I am intimately aware of the transgressions, the rebellion that I have done. It's not just, you know, something I think about on Tuesdays. It's like over and over and over again, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. It's the idea of face to face. I just don't have it. And um, Psalm 32, when he looks back at it and he's reflecting on this scene, he's like, my vitality was drained away like the heat of summer is what he says. Now, hey, WNC, let's be, let's be clear. I, I, I know we got the best climate, even though it's like crazy sometime to live in, all right? And please, what, if you, ever, you can rebuke me if you ever hear me, ever hear me say, man, it's hot. If you ever hear me say that, uh, rebuke me right there. Because loved ones, I don't care. We've been here 13 years and I have yet to find a hot day in Western North Carolina. I know you're like, no, it's hot. No, it's really not, okay? Not when you moved here from Houston, which is like two exits down from hell, all right? You, and it's that hot, you don't, never have I like, man, it's 91 degrees for like a minute here. Never said it's super hot. You don't know hot. You don't know hot unless you've sat there and sweat through your dress shirt in like a minute just going to your car, all right? As a matter of fact, true story, when we came here in view of a call, which is basically when you come and do your test trial, most of y'all weren't even here at that point, and uh, you come in here to do a test trial and they look at you, it was actually, they used to have a big festival downtown. It was in August, and our boys were, I don't know, starting high school or whatever they were doing, and, and uh, that afternoon we had some stuff with the team and whatever that was, they're like, hey, we're gonna take your kids down to, we're gonna take them down, I think it was Belshare or one of those downtown festivals. And it was a quote, hot heat wave here in the mountains. And brother, I mean, the heat wave was seriously, I think the high was 88 degrees. But a dear old lady came up and said, oh, hey, pastor, um, do you think your boys are gonna be okay in this heat? I still remember that. It's like, you think they're gonna be okay in this heat? I'm like, yeah, with a sweater, they're gonna need a sweater. They think 88 is a cold front, all right? They don't understand that when it's 100 degrees, degrees and that's what David says. David says, you know what? I feel like I've got no energy. Why? Because as I've said a hundred times, listen, when you're in Christ and you and I sin and hold on to it, it just drains away your joy. It drains away your vitality. As I said, you can't enjoy God. Why? Because you're at odds with God. You're, God's like, listen, you did it. Let's get this straight. But you can't enjoy your sin because you don't belong to that anymore. And so you're actually more miserable than the person that doesn't even know the Lord. And that's where, that's where David is. And what you got to understand is his invitation to you today is not condemnation. It is an invitation. That's what you have to understand when he convicts you. 
like he's doing, like right now, if he's convicting you right now, if you're in your dining room watching online and he's like, this is, you gotta straighten this out. Let's get real with this. That is not to condemn you. It's not condemnation, it's invitation. It's an invitation to grace, an invitation back to the way it used to be. And so here's, a, here's kind of what my aha moment was this week. And I can't find an exception. Every person in the gospels that came to Jesus that held basically nothing in their hand. Basically they said, you know what? I'm coming for the mercy of God and nothing else. If that's all they had, I cannot find one time when people came to Jesus only on the basis of the grace and the mercy of God that they ever got turned away. It's like there is no limit. The ones that were turned away were the ones that were still holding on to their stuff. They were still trying to kind of act like, you know, you're kind of obligated because, you know, I do this or I'm in the temple or I've got this stuff going on or I've got this money. And those are the ones that he turned away. And here's what you got to understand. God already knows anyway. Christian, God already knows. He knows about spring break. He knows about that thing 10 years ago. He knows about that deal this week. The question for you is, are you actually going to get honest with him? And so when, when it comes to starting, I got to start with God's grace, but here's the part that I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you. This is the part that I learned this week that actually I'd ignored for years in, in, in studying this and reading this and even, pre, and I think this is 10 years ago since we ever looked at this particular one, but it's actually the whole, it's the, it's the hub, it's the key. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You might be going, what, you, what about Uriah? He's like dead. What about Bathsheba? Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. He's talking to God. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and sin did my mother conceive me. Most theologians call that just the doctrine of original sin, meaning you don't have to teach little Skippy how to, you don't have to teach him how to steal the toy from somebody in the nursery, okay? It just comes naturally. It's just something you and I are born with. So Psalm 51, six says this, and this is the part that you gotta get. Behold, in other words, don't miss this. You, talking to God, you delight in truth in the inward being. Now let that sit there for a second. You delight. It's like God delights when you and I get honest about what's going on where? 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 Inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret what? Heart. So here's, here's the pretty easy little second part is aim for the heart. Aim for the heart. Um, David dealt with his heart. We deal with our behavior. When it comes to most of our repentance, what we deal with is we deal with the behavioral issue. I did X, so I need to, I need to turn away from X. What David did is David acknowledged the action and the behavior, but what he repents of is as much as the behavior is the fact that his heart became like someone who would do that behavior. David is actually saying, you know what? I used to be the kind of king that would protect his people from all the enemies and put their interest in front of mine. That's the kind of king I used to be, but now I'm the kind of king that abuses his own people and serves himself. And so when it comes to this, the, the, he says, I, I repent of my iniquity. Iniquity is the word for, it's like the residue of our sin. It's like if you put a red sock with a bunch of whites in the washer and you put it on 
hot. It all comes out pink. And the idea is, you know what? The one red sock, the residue did damage and colored everything. And that's what unconfessed, unrepented of sin does in the life of the believer. And so he's confessing not just what he had done, but the person who he had become. That's why he's like, ultimately, ultimately, God, my heart has changed. I used to be satisfied with you, and now I'm not satisfied with you. That's why I went looking to hook up with Bathsheba. You know what? I used to find comfort in you, but then all of a sudden I didn't find comfort in you. I wanted to find comfort in the arms of this other woman. I used to think, man, I'm so stressed and I used to go to you and write songs to you, but now what do I do? I go and do something heinous like adultery and then I cover it up. And um, a lot of times we're like, uh, why did I do that? Why did I do that? Or here's the question. Have you ever asked, have you ever been stuck in a cycle? Christians are notorious for the cycle of sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess. As a matter of fact, if we're being really honest, sometimes, especially if we've been around the Bible for a while, we get 1 John 1, 9 memorized. If I confess my sins, he's faithful to forgive me as my sins and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. And we actually think about that verse before we go and sin, knowing that we can put 1 John 1, 9 on it. And all I gotta say is that's not repentance. That's actually not even confession. What David is saying is, you know what? I've sinned against a God who's been so good to me. I used to be a shepherd, now I'm a king. What do you and I say? At some point, it's gotta to get to our heart and say, you know what, what I have done, what I have done, God has been so good to me. He's given me sight, health, family, business, church, eyesight, great place to live. And above all of that, he saved me and my sin put his son on the cross. And what have I done? I have spit into the hands of grace. I have shunned hands of mercy. I've said, I'm not satisfied with you, God. I gotta find satisfaction somewhere else. I'm not getting comfort from you. I'm gonna go get comfort somewhere else. And loved ones, uh, the focus is not behavior. The focus is a heart that made the behavior happen. That's what Jesus teaches, remember? Here's what Jesus teaches. It. He teaches us a bunch of different ways, but Matthew 15, he says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Put it in another way. To put it in our terms, Jesus is saying the heart is what makes us think evil things. It makes us sleep with another person's spouse. It makes us steal stuff that is not ours. It makes us slander somebody else. And so in a nutshell, telling somebody to follow their heart is 95% of the time terrible advice. It is. Parents, uh, pastors, just follow your heart. How dumb is that? That is the dumb, dumb advice. Why? Because the Bible says our heart is deceitfully wicked. Above all else, who can even know it? And so to say, follow your heart, that's what got David in trouble. David followed his heart right to Bathsheba. That's, that's, what, that's what happened with him. And while he got forgiveness, by the way, the consequences continued. So follow your heart is, uh, it's, it's almost on par with, hey, let your conscience be your guide. That can be okay unless your conscience is unhealthy. The Bible actually talks about a seared conscience or a calloused conscience. And so you're like, what are, you, what are we supposed to do? Here's what it is. When you see repentance, you see the mind, the emotions, and the will all wrapped together. The mind, the mind, David says, you know what? I can't believe, I, I've sinned against you, God. That's the mind. I acknowledge that. It's, trend, it's like five different words for sin. I acknowledge that. But it's emotion. Listen, I'm the most unemotional. I am in the top 5% of unemotional people in this room. All right? I'm like the eight 
on the Enneagram. I'm like the choleric on whatever that file is. I'm like German, which is whatever. I mean, and I'm better than I used to be. But what I've discovered is this, if there is no movement at all, if there is no brokenness over my sin, if there's no grief over the, no soul grief over the fact that, you know what, man, God said to do this and I didn't, or not do that and I did, then there can be no repentance. I'm not talking about crocodile tears. I'm not talking about, let me just cry and I'll do it again. I'm talking about legitimate soul grief. I, you know, here's what we want our church to be. As we come out of this pandemic, we want our church to be both safe, but not soft. Safe, but not soft. It needs to be a place where we bring all our junk in here, where we come in here and we don't act like we're little plastic soldiers with everything okay and have our little Bibles in our hand with our little calligraphy on the top there. It's like, everything's awesome. Because it's not that awesome. But it needs to be a place that's safe to say, you know what, I don't have it all together. We're gonna bring that to the gospel and let God heal it, but not soft. A soft church is one that says, bring all your junk in here and let's just feel good about our junk. That's not the gospel either. The gospel is, you know what, I know you. Here's what we talk about all the time. To be known, to be known, but not loved. I mean, that's, that's, that's brutal. I know you, but I don't love you. Or to say, you know what, I love you, but I don't know you at all. That's just like a Hallmark movie. That's all that is. But if you put both, you know what, I know you and love you, that is a description of the way God loves us. I know you're junk and I still love you, but let's deal with this stuff that is killing you. And um, the will, what, are the, what is the action that I'm going to take? Uh, what's the plan of action? Verse 10 says the idea of uh, repair my spirit. In other words, like, pick me back up. Now here's, here's the one last thing for you. God is not looking for begrudging submission for many of us. You understand that? And that's, that, was the, that was the rhema for me this week. It's like, you know what? God doesn't look for, okay, I'm gonna do it because I know I should. I'm the preacher, I'm gonna go do this. I should do that. He's like, you know what? If that is your attitude, keep it. I'm not looking. I can get 25 people to go do that. I can get 1,000 people to go do that with a better attitude. What I want is I want a heart that is so enamored with the gospel and my love for you that you gladly run and go do that. And so he's not looking for begrudging, you know what, if you're gonna make me do it and want my life to be miserable, I guess I'll do that. He's like, you know what, just, just, let's just, just keep it. But the awesome thing is David doesn't just do that. Here's what happens, the last two verses. Purge me with hyssop. You're like, what in the world? And I shall be clean. How awesome would that be if in 15 minutes in your home or going to your car that you can say, you know what? My conscience is clean. I'm right with the Lord. No fakeness, no pretending, no pretentiousness. It's just, it's just I'm washed. I'm clean. Because he says, if you wash me, I'll be whiter than snow. And here's, here's what's awesome. And this is a prayer, but it's a confident prayer. Maybe it's the prayer you'd want to pray today. But it's, it's, this is verse 8, not verse 1. Verse 1 is God's mercy, and then he owns his sin. And then you get to the verse 8 and on. It says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have broken, you as the Lord. You're like, would God spank me? 
Yeah, he would, actually. All right? What does the book of Revelation say? What does the book of Proverbs say? God chastises those he what? He loves. All right? If you never get conviction, if God never puts his finger in your chest, it's like, listen, this is going to destroy you. If you don't change right here, then there's a much bigger issues. Maybe there's no uh, personal relationship with God for him to, I'll tell you what, I mean, there's times if you're a parent, do you never, ever, ever, even if you don't, even if all you do is put them in timeout, there's never a time when you would discipline your kids. I hope, I hope there are. But he says, let me hear the joy and gladness. Let the bones you, God, that you have broken, let them rejoice. So here's the last thing, and then we're going to act on it, is, is there has to be a point after you dealt with it that you don't sit there, you actually move forward with the Lord. And that's what's awesome. That's the progression we want. You actually can move forward. Instead of being stuck in the past, I can move forward with God. And the way it happens, you, you see it hinted at. Remember we talked the whole time in this year of the Bible about, you know, the, there's 66 books, but it's all one story. This is another example of that. The word hyssop is basically like a shrub or a branch that has some little flowers and stuff on the end. It's only used a few times in the Bible. One of the times it's used in the book of Exodus when they dip it into the lamb's blood and they wipe it over the doorpost of the house so that the, the God would pass over them. In other words, there's a substitute put from the lamb to the people. It's used another time when they actually say, you know, the, they use it for to, clean, to cleanse these lepers. But the most awesome place it's used like an example would be John 19. It says a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch, held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. When it comes to gospel-centered repentance, repentance that heals and doesn't just hinder us, when it comes to that, the last words Jesus tells us, tells you, is not go and fix yourself or bring me your good intentions. It is, it is finished. I have paid your sin debt. Provision has been made. And so again, repentance is not about condemnation from God. It's an invitation from God. It's that, listen, the true and better David has paid for your sin. David served himself, Jesus served you. David was all about what was best for him. Jesus says, you know what, what's the best, what's best for you? David was about how can I provide for myself? Jesus is like, I'm gonna provide for them. Now, if you're not a Christian, it is finished means that's the first application. It is finished, you're like, dear God, does that, that somehow counted for me and I'm embracing Jesus by faith. But if you're a a Christ follower, you don't work for that forgiveness. You live in response to that forgiveness. And one last thing, I know the voice because I've heard of myself. Oftentimes the voices that label us, we have a, even after we've been a Christian for years, we have a hard time moving on from those voices of condemnation that label you. Even if you've like confessed it and repented of it and done restitution and you're in Christ and all that stuff has been done and yet the voices are still there. You are your divorce, you are your abortion, you are your affair, you are your tax evasion, you are your whatever. And oftentimes you're like, I'm trying to drown those out, I will not think about it and that's impossible. As a matter of fact, one reason that's a bad idea is half the time what, is, what those voices are saying actually is true. Instead of denying those, what you do is you let the gospel speak louder over you. You let what God has said about you speak over that. Those things might be true, but let God say, you know what? She's in Christ and she is not condemned. She is a daughter. He is a son. She is forgiven. He is redeemed. That's what the gospel is. And so what we want to do today is this. Um, 
You're like, I don't know how God's gonna respond if I like, man, if I really wanna let go of this junk, it's been hindering me, I know what it is. Um, what's God gonna respond like? Well, let me just say it's at the very last of this Psalm, here's what it says. It says, the sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit and he will not despise a broken and humble heart. I'm gonna ask you to simply uh, just humble yourself and uh, if God's put anything at all, maybe it's in the past, maybe it's the fact that you know what, you've given up on somebody and you were like, I'm blowing, I'm blowing off ever inviting them again. Maybe it's something that you've just never believed God about. Maybe it's a specific action. Um, I'm gonna ask for you to humble yourself and get grace. I'm gonna just add, and our leaders are gonna start. We, we gotta make this altar a little bit more, com- as we come out of this deal, we've kind of been, well, what about social distancing? Come, oh, here's a, we're gonna come up to the altar, but you can spread it out a little bit But you're like, why should I walk there? Why should I run there? Why should I do that? What I saw this week is when people really repented, number one, they didn't care what other people thought. And number two, oftentimes they took a step of action. They took a step of action. The Bible says the prodigal son, he came to his senses and he got up and he went somewhere. He went back to his father. Peter, when he saw Jesus, he jumps out of the boat, he swims to shore and he runs to Jesus. The people on the side of the road, they just cry out, have mercy on us. And so what I'm gonna ask you to do is uh, take a step of action. And for many of us, what will be extremely helpful is just come up here and kneel by this altar and say, and all you're gonna say is, you're like, I don't know what to say. Have mercy on me. That's all you gotta say. Give me the grace. And what I can say is God does not deny that. Your heart is broken over something. Your heart is broken over something that, you know what, I want it to be like it used to be. I want the joy. Then um, come and get it. All right, if you're a leader, This is for leaders. Leaders, if we can't lead in repenting well, then uh, what good are we doing leading? If we can't repent as a church, what good is next weekend gonna be when we raise the roof on this place? What good is that gonna be? Before we go to the empty tomb and rejoice and hoop and holler and have an awesome time, we gotta go to the cross, get cleansing, get washed, get forgiveness, get the joy back, and then God will use that in a great way. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm just gonna do a quick prayer. I'm gonna like, this is like, when I say quick, I mean like 15 seconds. And I'm gonna just pray for grace and for you to make a courageous decision. Some of you might just be hitting your knees right where you are and just say, give me the grace. For others of you, it's gonna be um, just boom. You're gonna be up here. You're gonna be praying up here. Just give me the grace. A great, you're like, what is he gonna, what kind of grace is he gonna get? I don't know. Maybe it's grace on your marriage. Maybe it's on your business. Maybe it's on that prodigal you've been praying for forever. I don't know what the grace is, but it's good. James chapter four, God despises the proud, stiff arms the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Peter says what? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you at the proper time. What does that mean? I don't know, but it's good. So Father, I wanna pray just the next few minutes. Uh, Just like a surgeon, you would just carve out the areas that are displeasing to you, dishonoring to you. God, thank you that you are for our joy. You are for the glory of God and the flourishing of your people. And repentance is that funnel in which you wanna pour grace into all of our lives. So in the next few minutes, help us to repent well. Help us to go to the gospel to repent well, that our sin has been paid for, that we don't have to run from you in our shame, we can run to you in our repentance. And so Jesus, give us that courage, help us to be praying, confessing, repenting, asking for the grace in Jesus' name.